Well, for me this week has been a very busy week of ministry. Uh, several months ago, uh, two campus ministries at UCLA asked me to come and speak this qu- quarter. And because of um, our second daughter's birth in October, I delayed it as much as possible. And I thought, okay, I'll go on Wednesday and Thursday, the first week of December, thinking that'd be a good way to kind of kill two birds with one stone. But after doing a Thursday night drive at home, I realized that's a long drive from uh, La Mirada to uh, UCLA. And doing it two nights in a row was definitely a challenge. It was a real good time of ministry. Wednesday night, um, preached on mortification of sin uh, to AACF at UCLA campus. And um, they've invited me back every quarter for almost three years now. I started three years ago and the leaders were sophomores or freshmen. Now they're graduating. And I remember the first few times I went, I just wanted to preach the Word and I preached some very harsh sermons. And I expected not to be invited back, but they kept inviting me back. And um, to see them at such a you know, good stage of life, a foundational stage of life, for them to hunger for the Word and respond to God's Word was a tremendous encouragement. On Thursday night, Marcus and I, Pastor Marcus and I, were doing somewhat of a dual tag team ministry action going on in UC campuses. While I was preaching at UCLA CCM, and I was preaching on the crucifixion of Christ, Pastor Marcus was down in San Diego uh, preaching on Second Peter 1, making every effort to add to your faith to CCM at UC San Diego. So I remember I was driving um, towards UCLA, praying for Marcus, and he was praying for me, and driving back home wondering how he did, and I'm sure he was wondering how I did as well. Well, great time of ministry. It seems that God's Word is being proclaimed um, by faithful servants throughout the world. God's Word is not chained, and um, it is an amazing thing to see God's Word go forth and bear fruit in people's lives all for His glory. Well, today is a significant Sunday because it ends our study, our five-part study on spiritual disciplines, which is actually a part of our study of the Holy Spirit, which is a part of our study of John 14. So, um, it is somewhat significant because we're making a U-turn now. We're going back towards John 14 um, with our study today. Just, just for sake of review, our five just non-negotiable, irreducible disciplines that every Christian must be part- participating in, uh, they've been, first of all, mortification of sin. That's the first spiritual discipline, the first physical exercise that all Christians must give themselves towards. We must physically give ourselves to killing sin in our lives. It's not just a spiritual issue. It's not let go and let God. There's no idea to surrender to God and He'll take care of the rest. No, we must exert ourselves. We must give our effort to mortify sin that is alive in our flesh. Our second spiritual discipline was redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. If you're a procrastinator, if you're lazy, if you waste time, if you are foolish and you don't understand wisdom, you don't understand the Lord's will to redeem the time, then you won't be interested. You won't be able to do these spiritual disciplines. So, right alongside of mortifying sin is the task of redeeming every opportunity and making that time useful for the Lord's purposes. The third spiritual discipline, reading the Word. Just simply, I took out meditation, exegesis, you know, hermeneutics, all of that. Um, uh, all of that uh, deep study or hearing the Word, all those are important, but reduce it, down, reduce it down to just reading the Bible. Just read the Bible on a daily basis. Last week, uh, tremendous study. God used it to really convict my heart this past week. Remind me the importance of private prayer. Um, it is a physical task. Our spirit is willing often, but our flesh is weak. Our minds are prone to wander. Our hearts are hard, calloused. Our ears are dull. And we're just um, in a culture where it's entertainment driven. That prayer is a growing challenge for 21st century Christians. But all the more how much we ought to pray and spend time and give our efforts towards private prayer. Now today, the fifth one. Uh, this one was a very difficult one for me. A very challenging one. Um, 
My proposal is this, that the fifth spiritual discipline that you and I ought to commit ourselves to is the discipline of finding and nurturing Christian friendships. The discipline of finding good, godly Christian friends. The discipline of nurturing that, nourishing that, and committing yourself to relationships Men and women, for men, you know, for men, right? Women, women, will spur you and challenge you in these disciplines. You want to find a group of godly believers who will motivate you, stimulate you, and challenge you to continue to mortify sin. To continue to help you not to waste time. Who will remind you to read the Word. Who will help you and motivate you, keep you accountable for private prayer. These disciplines are so difficult, so challenging, and because they are lifelong disciplines. It's not just for 2005. It's not for the next 10 or 20 years. Because we are to involve ourselves for the rest of our lives, going at it by ourselves, you are doomed to fail. You are setting yourself up for failure if you say, I will do this, by myself, I will be a lone ranger Christian. You're doomed to fail. You're planning to fail. I mean, even the physical realm, we understand this, right? When you want to go on a diet, you want to work out, you know, you guys, you want to bulk up maybe, and you start lifting weights. The success rate skyrockets if you commit to these things with someone else, right? In a marriage relationship, husband and wife, if you both commit to a diet, success rate is pretty high. If one of you commits and the other one says, no, I'm going to just eat ice cream and Oreo cookies and I'm going to be a couch potato and eat Lay's potato chips, it's not going to work. Right? If two or three come together and commit to them together, success rate skyrockets. Likewise with these spiritual disciplines. Seek godly friendships. Men and women who will spur us to mortify sin, redeem the time, read the word, pray, and even have a greater hunger for friendship, Christian friendship. It will be synergism, the yoke effect, where one plus one is not two, one plus one is ten. One plus one is fifty. I think to different measures we've experienced that in a Christian race, Christian life the sweetness of fellowship, when we run the race, the internal race, not the external race, the internal race of these four things, these five things actually, there's a synergistic effect when you do it with fellow Christians. Jerry Bridges said, spiritual fellowship is not a luxury, but a necessity. It is vital to our spiritual growth and health. Vital. J.I. Packer, the fellowship of sharing with one another what we have received from the Lord is a spiritual necessity. For God has not made us self-sufficient. God is not. We are not made so we can keep going on our own. Pastor Thomas Watson said, Associate with sanctified persons. Associate with sanctified persons. For they may, by their counsel, prayers, and holy example, be a means to make you holy. Be a means to make you holy. That's true. Like reading the Word is a means of grace. We receive grace as we read the Word and it makes us holy. Prayer is a means of grace. We receive help from the Holy Spirit as we pray. And we become strengthened to, to grow in our faith. Likewise, fellowship is a means of grace. As I look back on my Christian life, I can pinpoint these key men just by the relationship that we had, the opportunity we've had to study the Word together or serve together or, or pray together. Just their example, just their investment in my life. I, I experienced it. You know, it wasn't like electricity or or tears or anything, or it wasn't any kind of like emotional experience, but I mean, I stood there and literally experienced seeing this guy serve Christ, follow Christ, and I received grace. My heart was enlarged. My vision was broadened. 
my faith grew just by rubbing shoulders with another man who was a godly man, a lover of God, a lover of God's Word. It is a means of grace to isolate yourself and to have this island mentality is to your own spiritual detriment. The Bible confirms this. 2 Timothy 2.22 Paul tells Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth. And we'll study this verse more in depthly later. Flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Timothy, don't do it alone. Don't run away from sin by yourself. Don't pursue these things in isolation as an individual. Find others who have a pure heart towards God. Find other men and do these things. Flee and pursue with such men. Solomon Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12 through 12, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. That's synergism. Right? That's yoke effect. If one falls down, his friends can help him up. But pity the man who falls. And he has no one to help him up. He has no one. If two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Proverbs 27.17 As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another Christian friendships, brothers and sisters, means of grace. Means of grace. One of the, it's one of the joys of the Christian life. It's one of the joys of being in the church and serving Christ. Christian friendships. It really is. Without fellowship, without Christian friendships, you will be a spiritual weakling. Packer says again, I believe that one of the reasons why great sections of the modern church are so often sluggish and feeble compared with our counterparts of one or two centuries ago is that the secret of fellowship has been lost. Christ rebuked the Laodiceans for complacently supposing that they had all they needed when they were actually in a state of bankruptcy. I believe He would rebuke us for talking so glibly about the happy fellowship we have with each other when... Lack of fellowship is one of our glaring shortcomings. A body in which the blood does not circulate properly is always below par and fellowship corresponds to the circulation of the blood in the body of Christ. We gain strength through fellowship and we lose strength without it. Now, there is a distinction between fellowship and friendship. And what we're proposing this morning is not Christian fellowship. We're, we're proposing something beyond that. We're proposing Christian friendship. And this is where it gets dicey, this gets difficult. But there, is, there are differences between Christian fellowship and Christian uh, friendship. Four differences between fellowship and friendship. First of all, fellowship... There is a positional commonness. Positional commonness. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Everyone who is a Christian, we have fellowship immediately, positionally, before Christ because the same Holy Spirit indwells in you that indwells in me. There is a positional unity. Right. Friendship is degreed based on your relationship with that person, your knowledge of that person, and that person's knowledge of you. It's degreed. And uh, I was talking to Huey, and he gave me a good example of this. You go to a large family reunion, and you find someone who you're related to, your second cousin on your mother's side. Never met this guy before. Now, in terms of blood, you guys are related. You guys are family. But you don't know this guy. So he's a stranger to you. Hey, you know, my name is James. Your name is Scott. Great, how you doing? Right? So positionally there's this unity because we're family, but because there is no relationship, it's degreed. Likewise, in the church, 
In terms of fellowship, we're all, we all have fellowship together. When we read the Word, we pray. Wherever we are throughout the world, there's positional fellowship. But fellowship, friendship is degree d- depending upon our relationship. Right. Paul makes this distinction uh, in his letters. Well, I'll read these verses, a few more verses later on, but he lists all his co-workers, his brothers in Christ, his fellow servants, and he mentions few as my friends. In Colossians 4.14, he singles out Luke and Demas as my dear friends in a list of other men. Why? Because he knows them personally. He has a relationship with them. Second difference is that fellowship is immediate at the point of salvation. There is immediate. As soon as you become a Christian, at that point, there is 100% fellowship between you and fellow believers. Friendship takes a long time, doesn't it? It takes time. You can't, I can't meet you and say, let's be friends and we're friends. And we share our hearts and we pour our souls and just grow together. No, it takes at least a few hours, right? <laughs> it takes, well, at least, you know, for kids it takes a few minutes. But as you mature, it takes a little longer. It takes a few weeks, a few months, years. It takes decades. Friendship grows over time. Some of you I've known for 10 years. And some of you, I live with you guys, right? I mean, it's year after year and it grows and grows and grows and it becomes this foundation you build upon that God builds for spiritual friendship, Christian friendship. It's not immediate, it takes time. Third, fellowship, there's complete fellowship with every single believer in the church. It's complete. Complete. But friendship is limited to few. Limited to the few. I think most people, even our Lord, He limited Himself to 12 disciples. And even within the 12, He had three close disciples that He took to the Garden of Gethsemane. Even among the three, there was a disciple whom He particularly loved, Apostle John. He called Himself the beloved Apostle Disciple. So even Christ understood there was the masses, there were the 70 disciples, and there was the 12, and there was the 3, and there was 1. A concentric line of circles that he was intimate with. Well, likewise, although fellowship is with everyone, friendship, because of our limitations of, of time and energy, and just of our, as human beings, is limited to a few. Fourthly, and Maybe the most important one. Fellowship is by grace. Fellowship is by grace. Complete acceptance by grace. Enjoy fellowship with you. You know, whether you're mortified sin or not, we have fellowship. You know, you could be not praying ever since you got first saved and we have fellowship, right? You never read the Bible. You're the time waster. You're just, you just love wasting time, right? We have fellowship. Complete fellowship. There's no, you know, I don't, I can't disfellowship with you because of those things, sin of omission, because you're not following Christ, you're not evangelizing, you're not living for the Lord. I can't, right? Sin of omission. There's fellowship there, but friendship is different. Friendship is by works. It's not by grace. French fellowship is unconditional. Friendship is conditional. It's a two-way street, right? So you should have this mentality. Hey, if you're not mortifying sin, I don't know if I want to be your friend. Because I know 1 Corinthians 15.33. Bad company corrupts good character. And my character is not too good to begin with. So I need all the help I can get. And if you're not mortifying sin, I don't know if I want you in that place in my heart. If you're wasting time, if you're not reading the Word, if you're not praying, if your heart is not after Christ, I have fellowship with you, brother. But friendship, it's a two-way street. And as I be a friend to you, will you be a friend to me if you're not walking with the Holy Spirit, not filled with the Holy Spirit? So based upon these things, we limit our friendships for the purpose of personal godliness. Purpose of godliness. The Bible 
has a lot to say about the importance of friendship. It is a two-way street. But sad to say, friendship today has fallen on hard times for various reasons. Uh, Stephen Ambrose is a historian. He wrote Citizen Soldiers. recommend that book. He wrote Band of Brothers. recommend that book as well. And he wrote a short book called Comrades about male friendships. I found this book at a used bookstore when I was waiting for um, my insurance to go through on my car down in Garden Grove. I, found a, I love going to bookstores. And I was browsing through and I found this Ambrose book. I didn't, I didn't know he had a book like this and it was used. It was like three bucks. I picked it up and I read it in one sitting. And I loved it so much, I bought like ten copies and I'm giving it as gifts to, to guys. And, you know, one of the things he says is this, that the, one of the joys of his adult life has been discovering male friendships. One of his regrets was that he didn't start hugging other men until he turned 50. Right? <laughs> so I understand where he's coming from. I don't know if, you know, I'm a little, but I understand what he's saying. There are guys, I want to hug, hug them, you know, but maybe when I turn 50 as well, Bob as well, if you can grow in that area. But he, he says, friendship among men is difficult for us males of a middle class background to define our practice. Men are reluctant to spill their guts out, even to a close friend. They don't like to show emotion. And I love this. The four best words in the English language, this is a writer, four best words are love, wife, home, and work. The fifth best English word is friend. Friend. That's true. The Bible says so much about a good friend. The benefits, the joys, the help of a good friend. But sad to say again, friendship has fallen on hard times. Individualism, autonomy, privatization, and isolation are the norm. Deep, devoted, vulnerable friendship is not. It is a tragedy in modern day, in our modern culture and the church today. A sociologist, Robert Putnam, wrote a book a few years ago titled Bowling Alone. That's the metaphor for society in this country, in America. He says, 30, 40 years ago, people would join bowling leagues. And they would bowl together in groups. But now, a majority of people, they bowl alone. Years ago, people would gather together and have meals. Have dinner together. Now, everybody's driving on fast food and eating in the car. There was a time when Families and neighbors would get together to watch TV together. Even that, you know, idiot box. But they would still at least do it together. There was some kind of fellowship, socialization. Or they would gather together to watch a movie together and go out to coffee to talk about the movie afterwards. Now, everybody has their own big screen. Everybody has their own DVD collection. And everybody's watching movies alone. He's in this breakdown in the social fabric of this country and he has many reasons for it. I mean, the busyness of life, work, um, two career families, suburban sprawl, everybody's mobile. I mean, average stay in a single home in California is seven years. So your neighbors are constantly moving in and moving out. They're not growing roots. And all of this has destroyed friendships in this country. We don't know how to, how to have friends. The recent success, he says, of reality-based television programs only illustrates the bankruptcy of human relationships because we don't know people. We have to watch a reality program and we somehow project some kind of relationship with these people because, quote-unquote, they're real. It's sad to see how Americans have avoided these relationships. And I, I sense that personally. And for most... A bulk of my life, I grew up in Korea and, you know, I, I went back um, many, many summers to visit friends and family and I think it's different. When we go to missions, you see that. It's slower pace. People walk in the street. They have time for one another. In America, it's all individualized. We're all separated. We're all segmented. And therefore, friendship breaks down and sad to say, and I want to just address the men, if I may. I think women, you know, on the whole, you guys are better at friendships. Um, but men really struggle with friendships. 
Few men have good friends, much less deep friendships. Tell me if this is true or not. Most men go their whole lives without forming any meaningful friendships. Any meaningful friendships. Alan Lloyd McGuinness, author of the best-selling book, The Friendship Factor, says that studies have shown that only 10% of all men have ever had any real friends. 10% real friends. Another research, research study of men and women by Michael McGill corroborates this. He reports, To say that men have no intimate friends seems on the surface to be too harsh but the data indicates that it is not far from the truth. Even the most intimate friendships, of which there are few, rarely approach the depth of disclosure a woman commonly has with many other women. Men do not value friendship. What he's saying is even men, apparent, from outward perspective, they look like they're close friends. But you look at their relationship, and they, what do they do? They talk about sports. They play sports. They, you know, they watch TV and talk about the weather. And it's a very shallow, superficial relationship. Men by nature are not relational. Some suffer from the John Wayne delusion. Right? That real men do not need other people. Right? David Smith a sociologist, another sociologist, laments the superficiality of most male relationships. He says, Men find it hard to accept that they need the fellowship of other men. The simple request, let's have lunch together, is likely followed with a re- response, What's up? What's going on? What's the problem? The message is clear. The independent man doesn't need the company of another man. Right? In fact, the image of the independent man is that he has few, if any, emotional needs. Only reason I want to have lunch with you is because of a problem, or there is some issue, or there's something to tackle. I don't need to get together to, with you just to talk. Right? I don't need to get together for fellowship. There has to be a problem. There has to be a ball. There has to be a, you know, a basket, or, or you know, we have to uh, do something. Relationships. We don't need it. It's unimportant. Not necessary. He says further, Rarely do men plan a meeting simply because they want to enjoy each other's company. Even when men are frequently together, their social interactions begins and remains at a very superficial level. Just how long can conversations about sports and entertainment be nourishing to the human spirit? Christian men, we need good friends. We must have good friends. We must do away with this, this idea of needing friends, wanting friends is a weakness. It's being effeminate. It's, um, you know, it's being a girly man, you know. Not, not that at all. I mean, you look at, I mean, you look at the Old Testament, you look at David. I mean, David was a warrior poet. I love this guy, right? He played a harp, but he killed people. I mean, <laughs> you don't want a dog on his harp playing, because, you know, you'll, I mean, Saul's killed thousands, David killed 10,000, right? And yet, David had this intimate relationship with Jonathan, 1 Samuel 18.1. This intimate love, friendship with Jonathan. These two warriors, battle-hardened men, loved one another. In fact, when Jonathan died, this is what David said, I, 2 Samuel 1.26 I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful. More wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war have perished. It starts with us. It starts with us. We must have male friendships. Women as well, you must have women friendships. Do we not understand that accountability comes from friendship? I, I mean, for us to pursue these disciplines, we don't, we don't just, okay, keep me accountable. Okay, I'll email you next week. Or, you know, I'll call you two months from now. Are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? <laughs> what is that? Right? I mean, that's so, like, programmatic. That's not real. 
accountability, discipleship, maturity comes, there's a result of friendship. As we grow in friendship, as you grow in friendship with one another, accountability naturally occurs. It's a natural byproduct of that relationship. Does that make sense? And that happens naturally. As you spend time together, you pray, and you share your life on life. You share your burdens, your heartaches, your joys, your, your sorrows, and you share your victories in Christ. You share your failures. And that's the overflow of the friendship. We can't artificially manufacture fellowship or accountability. Hey, will you be my accountability partner? You know, will you be my prayer partner? Will you be this? Will you be that? That's artificial. That's not real. That's just performance. It's not genuine. The way to do this is form friendships and everything else. Accountability, authorities, disciplines flow out of that. Flow out of that. Well, how can we pursue friendships? How can we find and nurture friendships? Well, the first step, first step is to leave your shallow friendships, right? Move on. Really, we need to move on. The shallowness of many relationships and friendships is just amazing. Bob and I talk about this. Maybe it's a cult, I mean, a generational thing, but what people value among friends is so shallow. Oh, we're friends because we like the same music. We like the same shows. What, you know, unites us is we love the same sports. Or you know what? We went to elementary school together, so we're lifelong friends. Or we went to high school together. Or we have the same haircut, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's like, we're like, what? That's your bond? And so, people have these secular, man-centered bonds. I'm a Christian now, so I'm going to make it a Christian friendship. I'm going to make it a Christian thing. And you get frustrated. I don't know why it's not a Christian friendship. I don't know why we're not spring. We get together, we talk about clothes. We talk about color. We talk about entertainment. I'm trying to make it a Christian friendship and it's not working. You need to move on. The foundation of friendship must be fellowship in Christ. If that's not there, you can't create it. You can't force Christ into a fellowship, into a friendship. The foundation must be Christian fellowship. And based upon that, you develop friendship. So with the shallow, superficial, petty relationships we have, we need to move on. We need to cut out the barnacles and move on. You know, First Timothy 6.11, Paul told Timothy, you man of God, flee from all this. You know, what is he telling Timothy to flee from? He's telling Timothy to flee from these men, these false teachers, these men who are living for their stomachs rather than for the glory of God. Run away, Timothy, from these people. They will surely influence you. They will surely hinder you, tempt you, and lead you astray. Again, First Corinthians fifteen thirty-three. Do not be misled. Do not be mistaken. Bad company corrupts good character. We must make sure. And be cold in terms of our friendships. If our friends do not love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind, they're not our friends. We minister to them. We have fellowship with them. But our friends are those who spur us, challenge us, encourage us in our Christian life. Our loyalty to God first. The degree a person is faithful to God, to that degree we can be friends. Right? Well, qualities to look for in a good Christian friend. Qualities to look for. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 2.22. And we, I said earlier, well, We'll look at this a little more in depth. We qualities to look for several qualities here that Paul called Timothy to look for and others. First of all, look for men who are fleeing from their evil desires. Look for men and women who are running away from sin. The first command in this passage Present tense it indicates it's not a one-time act, but a constant fleeing, daily fleeing, daily running away. The Greek word is fuego, from where we get the word fugitive. So look for men and women. If they're running away from sin, you see them. 
They don't have this brazen, cavalier attitude towards sin and temptation. They don't expose themselves to, to images or movies or music or in their talk, in their speech. You notice, this guy is running away from sin. And you know what? I'm running away from sin too. We should run away from sin together. Right? That's the first thing you want to look for. Is he or she fleeing from sin? Secondly, the man of God, a pursuer. What is he? He's not just aimlessly running away. As he runs away from sin, look for a man or a woman who is pursuing the following four things. Pursuing righteousness. He is seeking to live practically as a righteous man. For him, righteousness is not just a doctrinal concept. It is daily living. He wants to be righteous in the sight of God and man. Right behavior, right conduct. He pursues it. He likes it. He rejoices in righteousness. Secondly, he is a man who pursues faith. Always endeavoring to trust God more. He submits himself to God's sovereignty. He submits himself to the truth of Scripture. Look for such a man. He's not bitter. He's not discontent. He's not frustrated. He's not unforgiving. No. All his thoughts and actions flow from his faith in the sovereign God. And you see that. And that's one quality known. Another quality is love. He's a man who knows how to love people. Now, 1 Corinthians 13. He's patient. He's kind. He's gentle. He's forbearing. You see, he has a large heart. He has this capacity to love people undeservedly. And you're challenged by that. You're challenged by how he loves his wife, how he loves his children, how he loves the, the fellow believers, how he loves the lost. And you just you see that in his heart. He's pursuing love. And finally, he's a man of peace, man who pursues peace. That he's seeking peace in his relationships with other other men, as women as well. She's seeking peace in her relationship with other women. Romans twelve eighteen, Romans fourteen nineteen. Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit of the bond of peace. This person, you notice, he has good relationships with everyone. No one has anything against him or her. He's seeking peace. She's seeking peace. The final one is calling the Lord with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. Look for men who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Men who sincerely Love the Lord with all their hearts. And this, you know, this is what uh, united Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David. Their love for each other was so strong that many Christians didn't know how to understand this. It seemed maybe inappropriate. Liberal, liberals and non-Christians said it's a homosexual relationship because their love for each other was so strong. See, they don't understand what David found in Jonathan. In Acts 13.22, God says, says of David, here is a man after God's own heart. Here is a man with, after God's own heart. David loved God. I mean, Psalms is clear. He loved the Lord. He hated sin. He had this pure, unadulterated zeal, devotion for God. Oh, that was just, that consumed him. It was a passion of his heart. And he was alone in Israel. He was by himself. Throughout the history of Israel, Israel was always being led astray. And there was the only one. And in 1 Samuel 18.1, it says that after they had finished speaking, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. They had the same heart. And in Jonathan, David found another man just like him. He found a man who loved the Lord just like him, who had a heart after God, who hated sin, was zealous, passionate for things of God. There was no one else, and he was no longer alone in his pursuit. No longer alone in his love. He could share his love for God with Jonathan. And that was the basis of their love for one another, of their unity. That's what Paul is saying. Love, look for men who have the same passion as you. Who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. Who love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. That's what David found in Jonathan. Right? 
Therefore, they had common love. And they were laboring after the common thing. They both wanted to serve the Lord. That's the quality we need to look for. Look for others who so love the Lord. Their labor, their desire is to serve God. Know God and make Him known. Let me read to you what C.S. Lewis said in his book, Four Loves. He points out that friends are at their best not when they're absorbed in each other in a common interest for one another. Friends are not at their best when they, you guys have coffee, you guys look at each other and talk to each other. And you're, oh, how was your day? You know? <laughs> how are you doing? What's going on in your life? That's not Christian friendship. He says this quote, The common quest or vision which unites friends, absorbs them in such a way that unites them to one another. It is the very medium in which their mutual love and knowledge exists. You hear that? The common quest, the common vision unites friendships. Every step of the common journey tests His mettle. And the tests are tests we fully understand because we are undergoing them ourselves. And there you will find the warrior, poet, the philosopher, the Christian, not by staring in his eyes, but by fighting beside him reading with Him, arguing with Him, and by praying with Him. That's how Christian friendships form. By fighting together, by praying together, by serving together, by being in the same quest, common vision. You find such a man, you find such a woman, and you will say, Proverbs 27, 17 is true. As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. This man sharpens me. This woman sharpens me. These are the qualities that we should be looking for as we consider our friends, seek friendships, nurture them. Um, four, four qualities to avoid in a Christian friend. Four qualities to point out and avoid, I guess. Avoid a man who is undependable. Undependable man. How about a flake? Irresponsible. Uh, his word is no good. You know, he he says something and you roll your eyes because, you know, that's all it is. It's his words doesn't really mean a lot because his pattern of life is undependable. He is a moody man, a situational man, a circumstantial man who keeps a promise only when it doesn't hurt. Right, opposite of what David said. Job 6.14 He says, Don't have friends like my friends. Right? A despairing man should have the devotion of his friends. But my brothers, my friends, are as undependable as intermittent streams as the streams that overflow. Proverbs 25.19 Like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. Right. Second, avoid, avoid someone who is wise in his own eyes. Man who spurns wisdom, doesn't listen to correction, doesn't listen to the scriptures, does not seek after God's truth. Right. Proverbs 10.8 For a chattering fool comes to ruin while a wise in heart accepts commands. Proverbs 12.15 The way of a fool seemed right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 29.20 Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. There's no hope for him. So, avoid such a person. Third, avoid a gossiper. A gossiper. Proverbs 11.13 A gossip betrays a confidence. But a trustworthy man keeps a secret. Fourthly, a hot-tempered man. <clears throat> hot-tempered man. A violent man. When I was in high school, I gravitated towards such guys. I, I, my friends were kind of these guys. My family kind of had something to do with it maybe, but all my friends, you know, we were like just, just little, say it's little thing wrong and you know, we just, we were bad, bad kids, you know. Uh, as a Christian man, Christian woman, it's the opposite. 
Proverbs 22.24 Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one who is easily angered. Close our time with how to be a good friend. How, How can you find friends? How can you make friends, develop friendships, nurture it by being a good friend? How can you be a good friend? First of all, be committed to the spiritual disciplines. Be committed to these disciplines. Mortifying sin, redeeming the time, reading the word and private prayer. First of all, be a good friend of Jesus Christ. Be a maturing man, a godly man or woman who is growing in these disciplines. If you're a good friend, loyal friend, a faithful friend of Jesus Christ, then you'll be a good friend to others. Secondly, grow in being selfless. Sacrificial love. Learn how to love someone selflessly, sacrificially. Philippians 2, 20-21, this is why Paul loved Timothy so much. He said of him, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare where everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy was interested in the other person's walk with Christ, not about himself. Don't have friends. Don't be. Don't have friendships with friends who use people. Right? They're just using you for their own benefit. They're using you for their own ego, for their own boast, for you to listen to them, boast about themselves, stroke their ego. They use you for their own gain. Right? Like they want to have fun, and what will happen with anyone who's available? They're using you so that they would have fun. Right? That's not a good friend. Be a friend who will look out for the interests of the others and look for such a friend. Thirdly, understand the work and the time necessary for Christian friendship. Work and the time. Fellowship is by grace. Friendship takes work. You need to pay. You need to give. You need to serve. You need to pray. You need to invest your time, effort, and energy to be a good friend. And you need to understand that that's not going to happen in a week. That's not going to happen in a few months. Okay, I've been here a few months now. Where are my friends? It takes months and years and even decades for solid friendships to be formed. Understand there is a concentric circle of friendships for everyone. Right? The Jesus Christ. So if you want to be in the inner circle... You have to prove yourself faithful over time. Right? And I understand that. that there, I want to be your friend, but I know that I can't just walk into your life and expect for you to pour out your heart and for us to be just comfortable with one another and, and grow. I understand that I have to earn your trust, earn your respect. Likewise, you earn my trust. You earn my respect. Right? Fourthly, understand that friendship means accountability. A friend is someone, an acquaintance will tell you what you want to hear. A friend is someone who will tell you what you need to hear. And if you don't want that, you shouldn't see Christian friendships. It's part of the territory. Friendship and truth comes hand in hand. Therefore, with your friends, and I think women, this is where women are weak. Men are somewhat stronger. Where men talk to each other and confront each other. And tell you, you know, that's wrong. You're you know, foolish. That was wrong to say. Women, they really struggle to speak the truth in love. But part of, core part of Christian friendship is speaking the truth in love. So to all your friends, you need to give them uh, invitations to be your Nathans. Right? You give them, you, know, you have this invitation to be my Nathan. You can call me anytime on anything. You can rebuke me, warn me, correct me. Confront me. You have this card. You have this card to say, if there's anything in my life not honoring to Christ, you can rebuke me and I'll listen. Because we're friends. We're friends. Does that make sense? Like even at work, you have professional relationships with co-workers, but you can't talk to them. But if you're friends with them, you can say, you know what, because we're friends, I can talk to you, right? I'm talking to you not as a co-worker or as a fellow student, but as a friend. And friends, we can talk. So let me say this to you. 
Likewise, with Christian friendships, invite others to be your Nathans. Ephesians 4.15, Paul said, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together, by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love, Puritan theologian Owen said of this passage, it is the greatest and most glorious description of the communion of the saints that we have in Scripture. The glorious description is of a local church body. And here is my final exhortation in finding friends. Start with those whom God has placed in your life right now. Start with those that are in your life right now. Proverbs 27.10 Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother who is far away. You might have this lifelong friend but he lives in Chicago. Right? You might have this person who led you to Christ and he's a spiritual mentor but you know, she's in, I don't know, Florida. Right? I don't know. But you have someone that you don't really know too well but she's in your flock. You don't know too well but He's serving with you in ministry. Solomon says, he's better. Right? She's better, even though you don't know that person, than your own brother who is far away. God has placed these men and women in your lives close to you, through your flock groups, your leaders, your ministries, through Cornerstone Bible Church. Start there. Commit to Christian friendships with these men and with these women. These are the five spiritual disciplines. I guarantee by the word of God that you do these things and I do these things. We'll fill with the Holy Spirit. We'll walk in the Holy Spirit. And we'll grow in godliness, maturity. We'll grow in holiness. And God will be beautiful. God will look glorious. God will be magnified through our lives and through our corporate body together as we obey these five disciplines. May God give all of us grace as we run the path of these commands. Right. God, we do thank you and praise you. We thank you for the wisdom of the scriptures. And we confess, Lord, that we do need one another. You said when you created Adam, it is not good for him to be alone. And you knew then that man needed fellowship. Men needed companionship. And so men need other men. Women need other women to call upon the name of the Lord with a pure heart together, to run this race of faith together, to serve and minister and evangelize this world together. Lord, I pray, because You are a good God, You are a caring and merciful, faithful God, that You will grant such a friendship to each believer here that soon in time to come each believer can say I have a friend who cares for my soul I have a friend who speaks to me with love and truth I have a friend who, who cares for me who's praying for me who's running the race with me alongside of me and that joy will spur them on to closeness with you in Jesus name we pray. Amen.